wonderful here to have you here with us this morning as we continue in week three of our series, Reference Point. I'm going to have the ushers come down the aisle. They'd like you to have a Bible so you can look along with a couple of verses we're going to be seeing in Genesis 2 and Ephesians 2. Slip up your hand. We'll put those items in your hand. Also, we want you to have the, the bulletin so you know what's happening and what's coming up and what you could be involved in uh, with what's happening here at church. As those are being passed, I, I would just have you draw your attention to the screen. I don't know if you caught it there. Did you hear it? The beers should have labels and not people. Well, the, the topic of gender identity is hotly debated today. And the topic has resulted in protests and name calling, lawsuits and court cases, student curriculum changes, policy changes for companies and cities and states and even the changing of definitions. There are many, many opinions and disagreements on the topic. So what do you think? What does God think? And how does what God thinks line up with what you think? You see, the reality is, is that life gets pretty messy when people disagree. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Right? gets messy. In fact, if you're married, think back to when you first got married. There were a lot of topics that you may not have agreed on that you had to figure out how to agree on. For example, you had to agree, agree on what does messy mean, right? You guys had to define that together. You had to define, hey, what does clean mean? Speaking of married, Friday night, Heather and I got a call from our oldest son, Kobe, who has preached up here many times, and his girlfriend, Amanda, and celebrate with me. Here's what happened. Now, what's really cool about that, there's so many things that's cool about that. Uh, he proposed in the same place that I proposed to Heather 25, 6, 7, 8 years ago. Pretty cool. Well, they are going to have to figure out what clean means and messy means and all of those topics. If you had or have a roommate, you have to agree on what does quiet mean at 1 a.m., right? These are the easy ones. But life gets complicated when we have to agree as a culture and as a society or even a community of faith on heavy issues. Like, what is marriage? And who gets to decide? What is a man? What is a woman? And who gets to decide? What is good? And who decides? Our goal, as we've been going through this series, with Christ and not culture, with Christ as our reference point, our goal is to try and figure out how God's people can better demonstrate the love of God to all people. To constantly ask ourselves the question, what does loving like Jesus require of me. To today specifically, we want to talk about these questions in the context of the gender identity discussion of which there are many disagreements on. 
What does loving like Jesus require of me towards those who are a part of the LGBTQ plus community? In case you don't know what that stands for, LGBTQ plus stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and the plus stands for any that are not included. I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced the same Jesus who hung out with, spent time with marginalized people is grieved by how the church in general has handled and treated the LGBTQ community. I believe God wants us, the church, including LifePoint, to do a better job of representing Him and truth while also demonstrating God's love, grace, mercy, and compassion. Now, i got to tell you, as we dive in, before we dive in any further, i, I got to tell you something that I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm pretty confident, I'm going to disappoint every single person here this morning. <laughs> I, I just am, because this is a topic that everything can't be covered in a few minutes together. Some of you might be tempted to get upset. Some of you might be tempted to check out or even check out of the door. My commitment to you, to every one of us here this morning, is to try to do my best that I can to represent God's truth as best as I understand it. I hope that your commitment is to present His truth in love to others to the best of your ability. You see, here's what I know, that the stakes are high. The stakes are high for me, and the stakes are high for you because all of us are impacted by this topic in some way, shape, or form. For example, you may have a daughter dealing or working through or having the conversations about same-sex attraction. She may have even come up to you and said that she is a lesbian. You might have a brother who has come out to you and said that he is gay. You might have a co-worker or co-workers who are transsexual or bisexual. You might be a parent deciding how to handle the new social studies curriculum. You might be a teacher trying to navigate the new curriculum. One teacher recently shared a note with me that they received from one of the students in their classes, in one of their classes. Here's the note. Dear teacher, my parents aren't, are not aware that I'm giving you this note. But from now on, can you please use my preferred gender pronoun, which is they, them, and refer to me as, and then the name. Please keep this between you and me because they do not approve. You might be active in politics, locally here, regionally, nationally. And for you, you're trying to figure out how to fulfill your role or your responsibility as people are aggressively seeking to change policies and laws. Stat excuse me, statistically speaking, it means that we have people in this auditorium who have same-sex attraction or who are currently involved with the LGBTQ community. The topic affects us all. And in our society today, Increasingly, it seems like more people are not feeling like the person whom they were born as. But as we saw last week, there's one thing that we all have in common. We are all humans created in the image likeness of God. We saw that last week. Thus, all people are deserving of honor, 
dignity and worth. So what I'd like to do is dive back into Scripture to learn more about God's creation of man and woman so that we can better figure out how to love like Jesus would want us to love people, all people, including those in the LGBTQ community. So I'd ask that you open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And again, you can put your finger in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. It says this. And again, we'll say a few words together as we, as we do oftentimes. It says this, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be what? To be alone. alone. So I will make a, what's the word? I'll make a helper. helper suitable for him. Now the text doesn't tell us what kind of helper. Is this an emotional helper? Is this a financial helper? Is this a relational helper? We actually have to read on to figure out why it is not good for man to be alone, what's lacking, and why he needs a helper. So let's jump ahead to verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is marital imagery. This is the father bringing the bride to the man. This is the walking down the aisle mindset um, uh, uh, that the Jewish person who was reading this would understand. Verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Jesus confirmed this understanding of man and woman and the teaching of marriage by quoting this Genesis 2 passage in Matthew 19 in the conversation he was having with some people about marriage and divorce and whatnot. And then in verse 6 in Matthew 19, Jesus said this, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's often shared in weddings. But what we have here is a model of marriage for moving forward for humanity. That Adam and Eve, that they would have kids and that, that those kids would eventually leave and they'd leave their father and mother and then the kids would be united and, and, and become one flesh. That's a, that's a sexual unity that's happening there. And then that those kids would eventually leave and, 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 and two would come together and, and be one in sexual unity and they'd have kids and then those kids would leave and kid, it just goes on and on and on. This becomes a model of procreation for humanity. God said in Genesis 1.28, go out and be fruitful and multiply. Now Adam said of, of woman or Eve in verse 23, he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which means we are very similar physically speaking, right? We have, we have, we have two eyes, we have two Steve Kishniff ears that he mentioned, right? We have two nose, I mean one nose, and, and you know, we have hands and elbows and, and knees, and, and there's, we're similar physically. Where is the difference in man and woman physically? Well, it's in the procreation piece. That certain body parts physically of man and woman are different. In fact, the different parts complement each other below the, rate, the, below the waist, right? Why? So you can have a little fun if you know what I'm saying there, right? <laughs> Apparently not with this group. I actually threw that joke in there specifically because I was like, I want to gauge the temperature of the message thus far. And 
first service was dead silent, and I was like, this is going to be a long morning. (laughs) This is very important for you and I to understand as we discuss and talk about the topic of gender identity. Because what we must remember first is that gender, uh, uh, gender identity is first a biological distinction. The idea of what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman first is a physical discussion. We have to start there. Now there's more to it, but that's where we start. Some of you learn this biological distinction in health class. I want to quiz you a little bit to see if you remember health class. To be a woman, what do your chromosomes have to be? As far as DNA, what do your chromosomes have to be? I'll give you a hint. Anybody know? X, X. To be a man, your chromosomes have to be what? X, Y. Very good. That's, that's how we were created. That's how we were made. That's how God set it up. It's a biological issue. It's a physical issue. It's not subjective. It's very objective. It's not how you feel or how you don't feel. It's who you are. Wait a minute. What if you feel different? than who you are biologically. We'll, we'll get to that as we proceed in the message. But today, in our culture, this that we're talking about has become very subjective. Culture is telling you and I that it is not based on biology, but it is based on subjective values of how you think or how you feel. And thus, you can have in Thailand, which is actually something that's world famous, you can have what they refer to as a third gender, as people who are called Kathoi or Kathoi or ladyboy. Essentially, they are young men who feel more comfortable living like a woman. Biologically speaking, it is not a different gender. They may feel like a woman, but they are men biologically. Now, is there tension there in this conversation? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's why there's such a difficult, these are difficult conversations in our world today, especially when culture is demanding that we all accept and even celebrate all of this. In fact, our state capital leaders here in California, you may not know this, talking to a person who works in the state capital, they have, they've shared that it's now considered by our state leaders that it's now considered discrimination to express any moral objections to LGBTQ um, behavior or identity. So yes, there is tension and disagreement on a very difficult topic in conversation to have and to navigate. But coming from the perspective of Scripture, just because a person feels differently does not mean that we can redefine biology or throw out our definitions of how God designed it just because we think it no longer matters. So, then how do we love like Jesus wants us to love in this discussion? How do we do that? How do we deal with the tension of maybe feeling different than our biology? Well, let's keep walking through some scriptures to see if we can kind of help us in this conversation, in this journey. If you're not there yet, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And here's Paul talking, and he's, Paul is talking to Christians right now, and he, and he enters into this discussion with them, with them, and he says this, and, and as we like to do, we say a few words together, and again, we'll try it here. He says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, As for you, you Christians, you were what? You were dead, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live 
when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul's saying, before you knew the Lord, before you were saved, what is he saying? He's saying that all of us by nature, in other words, we all have this in us, we were all, what was that word he said? We were all what in our transgressions? We were all dead in our transgressions. In other words, nobody's undamaged. Nobody's undamaged, heterosexual or homosexual. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us, what's the word? Made us alive alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. This This Ephesians passage is the gospel, that every human being is a sinner, that every human being needs to be rescued and saved by the spilled blood of Jesus. Every one of us needs to be reshaped by Jesus We all need a Savior. Why? The passage tells us. Because we were all dead in our sins. That's what the text says. That's our human condition. In other words, to use the language we're going to use today, everyone is spiritually flawed and broken. Everyone is dead in their sins. Everyone's spiritually flawed and broken. Now, here's the other key piece to this. This brokenness that you have, that I have, we had no choice in it. We had no choice in it because we were born that way. We talked about this months ago in a sermon where I illustrated with some different containers and whatnot. Romans says, 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And so this brokenness is something that we inherited. And it impacts all parts of us. All areas of life are impacted by brokenness. So what I want to do for a moment is I want to think about how brokenness impacts your life or my life or how it impacts different areas of our life. So for example, let's think about brokenness physically. How are people broken physically today? How are we flawed physically? Well, we get sick, right? We get diseases, right? We have physical deformities, right? We get old. Ultimately, we we die, right? How about broken emotionally? How are we broken emotionally? Well, we have mental illness. We have anxiety, depression, bipolar, fear, insecurities, low self-esteem, self-destructive behaviors, all ways in which we're broken emotionally. How are we broken relationally? We talked about that a little bit last week. There's hate and there's fighting and there's bitterness and there's divorce, there's discrimination, racism, and even ultimately murder. And our brokenness even impacts our sexuality. So when we are talking about having the Jesus way be our reference point in this whole gender identity discussion, we need to recognize we are all sexually broken. We all inherited the brokenness physically, emotionally, relationally, and yes, also sexually. What makes the conversation so complicated 
is the varying degrees of brokenness that we see in each of these areas. That's where it gets a little complicated for us. Physically, you look at the varying degrees of brokenness. Some people are more broken physically than others, right? You see that. Some people get sick more often than other people get sick. Some people have disease or diseases more than other people. Some have cancer, some don't. Some have heart disease, some don't. Some of us have deformities, some don't. Some have physical disabilities, some don't. We have varying degrees of brokenness physically. Well, what about emotionally? Well, some are struggling mentally more than others. Some might have bipolar, some don't. Some struggle with anxiety, some don't. Some struggle with depression, some don't. Some struggle with self-doubt, some don't. Others can't even comprehend how those topics are even an issue for people. There are varying degrees of emotional or mental brokenness. It's the same relationally. Some are more broken relationally than others. So don't exclude the sexual component. Don't exclude that. Some will be broken more than others. It's no different in the sexual realm. I want you to think for a moment about disorders, for example. Disorders. I looked up the definition. Disorder is defined as an abnormal physical or mental condition. To use our word, brokenness. For example, if somebody has gender identity disorder, or GID, or what is now even being called or known as gender dysphoria. What is that? Some of you may not know. It's feeling like you are not the same sex as your physical body parts. Again, we're all struggling. We're all broken. We're all broken in varying degrees of what our brokenness is. The medical community says that the treatment for gender identity disorder is the following. Counseling hormone therapy, and SRS, or sexual reassignment surgery. Those are your options for gender identity disorder. Now, the jury is actually still out on whether SRS is working. There's actually not a lot of studies done on it yet, but if you do read about it, you'll probably stumble across the, the, probably the most con uh, comprehensive study done on this, which was in Sweden in 2011. And here's what the authors of the study concluded. They concluded by studying people, they said persons with transsexualism after sex reassignment have considerably higher risk for mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than does the general population. Our findings suggest that sex reassignment, although alleviating gender dysphoria, may not suffice as treatment for transsexualism. In other words, they're saying it's not really working. Why? Because you can't just fix our brokenness, which is why, by the way, we need a Savior. Whatever our specific brokenness is, we need a Savior to help us in our brokenness, to help us walk with it, to be our strength in whatever our brokenness is. This is very important for us because it helps us then begin to see through the lens of compassion and help. But we don't liberate brokenness. We don't call our brokenness good. We don't say our brokenness is actually a healthy thing. Here's the deal. If we are all sexually broken, then we're all sexually broken including heterosexuals. You might say, well, what are you talking about? How are heterosexuals broken? Well, hello, 
You have adultery, pornography, lust, sex outside of marriage. I hope you're seeing it. Because when we begin to realize and recognize that we're all broken, it starts to equalize the playing field. It gets me off of my pride boat and discriminating sin, saying, well, your sin is worse than mine. I'm good and you're not. How could we ever point a finger at anyone in the LGBTQ community and then we jump online and we start looking at pornography? We're all broken. Or we say, those people, and then we go divorce our spouse. How can we say that your brokenness is worse than my brokenness? Your end of the boat is sinking. My end of the boat, listen, we're all going down. All of us. That's why we all need a Savior. We all need Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'd like you to turn there, 1 Corinthians 6. And Paul says this, and another important passage for us as we understand this discussion. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he's talking to the church. And he says, hey, I want you to know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, that's any form of sexuality outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, homosexuality is a sin. Whenever homosexual relationships are talked about in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, it is always referred to as a sin. But is that really an ace card to play? Is that really? Because you know what else is listed in the Bible? Every sexual expression outside of the context of marriage is also sin. Not only that, but, but to not address our own sin, look at that as he's listing some sin, to not address our own sin of greed, drunkenness, gossip, lust, you see, to say that our sin is not as bad as your sin. It misses it. We all need to be saved, which is why I love what Paul says in the next verse, because Paul understands we're all broken. So he says, but you, broken people, you are washed and you are sanctified and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It tells us God is in the transformation business. He's transforming all people. Whatever our brokenness is and whatever the degree of our brokenness is, God is doing the changing and the transformation. And so I ask you, what does loving like Jesus require of me? What does it require of you? How would Jesus respond to the LGBTQ community? Well, I have a few thoughts and ideas for you to consider, for you to think about, to dialogue with others about, to pray about. I'd encourage you to jot these down so that you don't forget them. And you can come back to this. And maybe if this is the only thing you are jotting down this morning, maybe you put at the top something like, my brokenness is just as bad as your brokenness, or your brokenness is no worse than my brokenness, whatever. Give something to remind yourself. So what does loving like Jesus require of me towards others?
especially the LGBTQ community. Well, first, don't start out with someone's symptom or their sin. Imagine with me, uh, you're here in the service, and after the service is over, you're, you're milling around, and there's people here, and you go up, and you see this couple, and they're kind of by themselves, and you walk up to the couple, and you have a conversation with them. You find out they're new at the church. It's the first time they've been here, and, and, and they're a young couple, and, and you get into a dialogue, and they're pretty open with you, and they, they let you know that, 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 they're, that they're dating. They're not married. They're not looking to get married, uh, but they're living together. Do you at that point then go, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, say that again? Uh, you're not living together. You're living together. You're not married. Uh, usher, 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 Mr. Blanton, grab me that Bible over there. Hey, I need to show you guys something. The Bible tells us here's how you're in sin, and here's how the way you're all messing up. And uh, you know what? Uh, uh, you're welcome here, but you need to go move out today, and then maybe you can come back. Would you do that? Have you ever done that? No. Why do we do that with the LGBTQ community? Why do we go down that path with them? Don't start out with their symptom. Start with the center and work out. Start with a heart and work out. Start with who Jesus is long before we focus on what Jesus requires of our life. We don't do it with any other sin, do we? So why would we do it with any, other, with any sin? Because we know that Jesus is the one who is changing us. Don't start out with someone's symptom or their sin Rather, start out with compassion. Compassion is the Jesus way. Compassion towards others is what, praise God, you can clap, that compassion is where Jesus starts with all of us. He looked at all of us. And the Bible tells us he looked at us and he had compassion on us because he saw all of us in our brokenness and said, we are harassed and helpless like a shepherd, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus understood, man, he has compassion on us. Let me ask you this. If I said, uh, hey, LifePoint, here's what we want to do. There are a, a whole bunch of people in our church right now who are in the hospital. They are broken physically. Cancer, disease, sickness, whatever's going on in their life. And, and you know what? I want to put together a team. Let's go visit them. Let's go pray over them. Let's go spend some time with them. Let's go bring them some good food. You know, you know they've been eating the hospital food. If you work in the hospital, no offense. It's not against you. You know, so, you know, <laughs> we're, like, we're going to go spend some time with them. Could I get the team, a group of you to sign up? You know what? I'll bet you we get a pretty good-sized group, especially if you know the people who are physically broken in the hospital from disease, sickness, whatever the case may be. And we'd go, and we'd have this compassion towards them, and we want to help them and assist them. What if I said, let's put together a team and go visit the LGBTQ community? And let's spend time with them. And let's pray for them. And let's see how we can draw alongside of them. How big of a group would we get? See, we're discriminating based on one area of brokenness over another. No, no. I'm not talking about redefining it. I'm not talking about not calling it sin. But when we look at the topic of sexuality and gender identity through the same lens of any area of brokenness, with the Jesus way as our reference point, man, it ought to, uh, it ought to cause compassion to well up in us and mercy to well up in us and patience to well up in us and love to well up in us. Think about it. If, if, if you have a guy in your small group who comes up to you and, tells you and says, hey, listen, I've got to tell you something. I've been struggling with pornography. You don't point a finger at him and judge him and tell him to change or you can't be in our small group anymore. You're not welcome. No. 
Man, you draw alongside of them and say, thanks for sharing. That must be challenging, hard, difficult. I, I want to draw alongside of you. I want to journey with you. I want to help you in your brokenness. If you do that for any other area of brokenness, then why wouldn't that be the same response to the LGBTQ community? Compassion is the Jesus way. Let me give you something else to consider. Start asking the right question. Start asking the right question. Because I know some of you, as we've been sharing this morning, some of you have been forming a version of this story in your head. As I've been talking, you, you've been thinking, but pastor, how do I love and support my LGBTQT neighbor, friend, church member, family member, without coming across like I approve of their behavior? I'm going to tell you right now, that's the wrong question. A better question is, how can my neighbor, my friend, my family member, church member, how can they know that I'm a safe person to talk with? How can I know that I'm a person who will listen? You see, we need to be more put off by our own failures, our own browsing history, our own sin, our own thoughts, our own issues. We need to be more put off by that. We need to love the sinner and we need to hate our own sin. And don't go any further. We have to get over this idea that I can't love someone who doesn't agree with me. Listen, I'm married to somebody who doesn't agree with me. I'm pretty much everything. I'm, on a, I'm with a staff with people who don't agree with me on pretty much everything. I'm in a church full of people who don't agree with me. How could you not be a Cowboys fan? And John says, Chris, I can accept you without without approving of every choice you make. (laughs) Acceptance does not equal approval. So our love must convince others that we love them as people. It's the Jesus way. The Jesus way requires it of us that people know that our love accepts them for who they are. The Jesus way says, I'm going to come alongside you and serve you, and I'm going to serve your interest to all my neighbors. So don't dismiss anyone. Be a safe person for anybody to be able to talk to. And let's be patient with each other on the journey. Let's leave plenty of room and margin for God to work in people's lives, just like we've asked God to be patient with us as he's working in our lives. I love what Billy Graham said, the late evangelist, great evangelist. He said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. And it is our job to love. So, as you have been coming up with all of your, yeah, but, or I'm not sure, or what about, or doesn't that mean that we don't? Man, don't go there. Don't go there. Stick with you. Stick with you and what God wants to say to you about how you are called to love others like Jesus would love others. 
And that's compassion, and that's grace, and that's mercy, and that's genuinely caring. And we can do that, and we can figure out how to work that out even as we present God's truth. But I believe this, the church ought to be the safest place on planet Earth for anybody wanting to pursue a relationship with Jesus. It really ought to be. So man, what if we stop beating people up with Bible verses? They already know how we feel. And how about we draw alongside people and we say, man, I'd love to hear your story. Would you tell it to me? Wow, that's tough. I, I can't imagine what you're going through. I just want you to know I'm here for you. And I also know that Jesus is here for you. What if instead of debating, we start opening up genuine doors to dialogue and conversation because we know, we know, we know, we know we're all broken in different ways and in varying degrees. And far be it from me to say that your brokenness is worse than my brokenness. Again, as Billy Graham said, it is God, the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. And our job, my job, your job is to love others. Pastor J.D. Greer posted an article this last week in Outreach Magazine, and he said this. He said, Repentance for the gay or lesbian person looks fundamentally the same as it does for the straight or religious person, which is, God, I'm sorry for elevating my desires over your will, for attempting to define my identity apart from your design for me, for seeking satisfaction and self-fulfillment Rather than from giving glory to you, I recognize Jesus as Lord and turn over control to him. He finishes off and says, that's what repentance looks like for a gay, straight, rich, poor, young, old, Jew, Gentile, black, white person. We all come to Jesus the same way. The good news is that Jesus came to save all sinners of all kinds. So, to the LGBTQ community, I say, just as you are, you matter to God. That there is a blood-stained cross with the blood of Jesus spilled for all of us. And second, you matter to this church. You matter to this church. You're welcome here. And we love you, and we want to talk with you with a spirit of grace, even if you don't agree with a, single, with a single thing I have said. We want to dialogue with a spirit of grace. Because the reality is, this room is full of messy people. We're all messed up. We're all broken. And I hope we're all trying to learn how to find freedom in Jesus I hope that we're all trying to learn how to keep letting God work in us in every area of our life to help transform us. So if you're okay with some messy people here, you're welcome here. You are. But the amazing thing about our God is our God loves us just as we are and right where we're at. But he loves us too much to leave us where we're at. He's in the business of transforming every single one of us and changing every single one of us more into the image of Jesus. So I invite every person from every community to join us in that journey with Jesus.